Good morning, everybody. First, first week of Advent. Love Advent. It symbolizes something new. It reminds us of what has happened in the past, but it also is um, a reminder of what's going to happen in the future as we look towards Jesus's first coming. And then we also look forward to his second coming when he will make all things new. And so we're going to spend this Advent season. It's we've titled our Christmas season, a humble Christmas, because we do want to approach it in humility. We want to look at the example of Christ who we'll look at him today and uh, the humility that he took on on our behalf, the example that he gave for us. And then over the next couple of weeks, how we get to walk in that humility as well. And so Jesus Christ, as our Savior and our King, he gives us an example of what it means to live a life on the principles of humility. And this, this Advent, we're going to look at his example. Uh, J.C. Riley uh, says this, humility is the very first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. Humility is the very first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. And I think that's why it's important for us to um, kind of be pondering that, be thinking about that this holiday season, because Jesus, again, gives us that example. He, he comes in total humility to this earth. God, God the Son, whose realm is the heavens, who spoke into existence everything that we see, is the author of creation, he is the word of God, and yet he comes into this life in a very, very, very humble way, and we're going to take a peek at that this morning. And again, our, our reading, so we're going to be looking at Luke 2, as well as a few other scriptures this morning, browsing through some of these scriptures together. Luke 2, again, 1 through 7, says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. So everyone was, went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee in Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her first son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This story just speaks of a humble beginning. And Jesus chose, God chose this beginning for our Savior, for our King. And we'll look at Jesus as our King this month. And so Luke, and, and again, we, we've been through Luke quite a bit over the last few years, but Luke takes us on a humble journey. Where do they go? They go to Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph are obedient to Caesar Augustus in his decree to take a census, to take a, an accounting of his kingdom, his empire, Caesar, Augustus Caesar, the, basically the, considered himself the Lord of the world because his empire expanded so far and it kept expanding. And he wanted to take a census of his people, of his kingdom, to, to see everyone who was under his domain. And again, we're reminded in this story, this Christmas story, the, the, the physical, and we saw this in the Advent reading, the physical, the emotional demands of a journey like this. Imagine you're, you're, you're Joseph. Guys, imagine you're Joseph. We can't imagine Mary. Imagine you're Joseph. Ladies, imagine you're Mary. 
on this journey, and what are you doing? You're, you've got a wife, or you yourself are nine months pregnant, sitting on a donkey, riding for Nazareth to, to Bethlehem, to obey the commands of the one that rules over you and rules over your nation. And you're carrying, you have this promise, you have this promise that you've been given by the angels, by God, right? They, they knew, right? They, they both had an encounter with the angel. They knew what was going on. They knew what they were expecting. They knew what was going to come into the world through their family. And I imagine that as you're on a journey like this and you're married, maybe you're a little worried at times. You know, this is nine months. Oh my goodness, I'm at the end. I'm supposed to be in bed, right? I'm supposed to be relaxing, and, and my husband's supposed to be taking care of me and bringing me food, you know, all those kind of things. You know, what, what, is, what were the expectations on someone like Mary? What was the expectation on someone like Joseph? I know when we uh, went and had our kiddos in the hospital, each time we took a birth plan with us, right? We had written out a birth plan. Anybody else write out a birth plan for, for your deliveries? Yeah, we're, we're, we, we wrote out birth plans. We got to the hospital, and what happens? Yeah, they don't always follow through, right? <laughs> Babies don't always follow through on the set plans that we have made, but this journey totally throws out any sort of birth plan or expectation on what they were thinking. You know, being back in their hometown, maybe having their, their family right beside them, living in the home so that they can help out with a delivery like this, because deliveries back in this day and age, a lot more dangerous, right? They didn't go to a hospital and have all the doctors and nurses and staff and uh, ultrasound equipment and all that stuff to just kind of map out the journey, make it a very safe, as safe a process as, as possible. And so then you got the weight of this journey on top of that. Already very difficult, very uncomfortable time, especially for someone like Mary. First child, uh, first pregnancy, all that kind of stuff. And they are well aware, what are they? They're well aware that they're carrying the Messiah of their nation with them on this journey. A Messiah who is going to rule and make things right for Israel. This was, these were the promises. And here they find themselves on a donkey, traveling to Bethlehem. Driven, as we see in the story, driven to an animal stall. Right? More than likely, the, we, we have a picture like this. Where they, where they're that is stable somewhere outside in you know in the country and 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 uh, more than likely they they got to their destination they found a, a place um, could have been we we hear the term inn so we think it's like a hotel or something like that that they're looking at all these hotels to try to get into no this is probably a family place inn is just a house it's a house they're going to a place they may have known the family and what they would have probably experienced is. There was no room in the inn. There was no room in the actual living quarters, and that would have been above. But the house in, uh, house in Bethlehem, a house in the first century, they would living quarters above. Then you would have the, the stalls, maybe kitchen, other things like that, the working area of the home down below, and you would, this is where you would have the animals and things like this. So more than likely, they were in, still in a home, but it was in the place designated for the animals and the work. And so it had all those smells and all the stuff going on. And this is where we find the manger as the first throne for this promised king. Think about this, the promised king. And we compare him with Caesar. Caesar's the one who said, hey, go to your hometowns. Go to where your family comes from. I want to count you. I want to see who's in my kingdom. He has the authority. Caesar has the authority to tell everybody in the known world, go to your hometown. 
right? It's time to travel. And what did they do? Yep, it's time for us to travel. It's time for us to do this. He has the palaces. Caesar has the armies. Caesar has all of the followers. Caesar has all the power of the nation behind him. Compare that to the power that we see given to the true ruler of this world. And so you think, you think of the contrast between a Caesar and Jesus, and the, the saying of the day was, Caesar is Lord. It's on the coins. It was on the slogans, on the banners, Caesar is Lord. Uh, Caesar Augustus specifically comes in, and he's, he's the uh, uh, adopted son of Julius Caesar, the, the famous first Caesar. And Augustus go, comes even further in this. And he says, oh, my adopted dad, he died, he was killed. And actually, tell you what, he's actually now a deity. So therefore, I am a son of God. Caesar's saying, I'm the son of God. Julius Caesar is now deity. I'm the son of God. Caesar is Lord in all this world. And you compare that with what the situation of, of Jesus and uh, the promised Messiah. I mean, Caesar had all the land. He could take whatever land he wanted. He had, as a Caesar, he had great swaths of land already had been given to him, had been taken in war. He gets all the spoils of war. He gets all the, the best treasure. He gets all that stuff. He, he gets to tax. He gets to take tribute from all his followers. He is probably the, the wealthiest person. Whoops. The wealthiest person in the world. He's got all the political power, the authority, right? He held absolute power over the state. He, start, he's, he himself started to turn the state from a, a Senate-run, representative-run Rome to Caesar-run Rome, and the rest of them would follow in his, his line. When he made a decision, it was law. This is why he could say, go to your hometown. It's time to count you. It's not good enough that I count you in this town <laughs> where, you, where you're currently living. Go to the place where your family comes from. That's how we're going to get an accurate count. He's the commander-in-chief. He's got control over all the armies. Again, when he makes a law, he, it becomes law, and then he gets to decree whether that law is obeyed, and he gets to dispense justice as he sees fit. He has his images all over the place. Again, in the coins, the banners, the slogans, all leading towards Caesar as the rightful ruler of this world. He throws the parties, he determines the culture, all that kind of stuff. And here we have the majesty of God. God in the flesh, flesh and blood, entering the world in the most humble of circumstances. Savior of humanity, not born in a palace where he deserved. Didn't have all the royal splendor, but where was he born? In the stable with the hay, with the animals. And this is an intentional choice by God, which speaks to the, the humility and the example that Jesus sets before us. And it would echo out throughout his ministry. You think of Jesus' life and his ministry. What was, and what, who was he? A very humble man. Knew his mission, knew who he was as the son of God, but walked in humility. Walked in humility. And this challenges the world's ideas of importance and power and what it means to rule. 
2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus, Son of God, his residence is the throne room of heaven, had it all, had it all, creator of the world, became poor, stepped into our shoes became poor so that we may experience the riches and the blessing that comes by following him. And this is the pattern that God has used throughout history and uh, in, in, in a pattern of working in unexpected ways, choosing an unexpected setting for the birth of his son in the stable in Bethlehem. Uh, it, it challenges our understandings of what it means to be great, what it means to, to recognize who God is, he showcases his, his glory in the manger. Hmm. And the essence of uh, humble beginnings, what we're talking about this morning, really speaks to the unexpected ways in which God works in our lives each and every day. Sometimes his blessings come in the forms we least expect or the, le- the ones we hadn't asked for. He doesn't always choose a grand scheme or the grand way, and he often manifests his grace in very simple and humble ways. And I think, I, I really believe it's those little daily choices we make. It's not all the grand stuff that we hope for. Sometimes we get caught up in, in, in trying to figure out, okay, how is God going to work powerfully, mightily, do a mighty thing through my life? And we get caught up in that, but it's often, I think, just the itty-bitty little steps each and every day, steps of faithfulness each and every day where we see God working. And I think this nativity story, the story of Jesus' birth, his, his humble beginnings, it, it opens our eyes up to that expectation that God is going to work in very humble, ordinary ways. And so as we look at the humble beginnings of, of Jesus and our Lord, we need to also be prompted to consider our own lives and what this means for our own lives. How often do we find ourselves seeking recognition or success or trying to, to show our importance in the eyes of the world around us? And Jesus' example and his humble beginnings call us to embrace humility ourselves, acknowledging that God's ways are higher than ours. And often he works in unexpected ways. And so we're reminded that the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem was not one of luxury. It was one of probably much discomfort. I can't imagine Mary on this journey, on the donkey. You know, the whole, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Kind of thing. Now they didn't have their kids tagging along, <laughs> asking those questions. But I can imagine in the mind, how much more? How much longer? When's the next stop? Oh, when do we get that next rest? Hmm. And we're reminded of the contrast in this passage itself. The contrast between the, 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 the Lord of the world, Caesar, and the Lord of the world that was born in the stable. And Caesar claimed to rule the world, but God's gospel claims, is going to ultimately claim that Jesus does. And it comes in such an unexpected way. And we see this in Jesus' story. 
Philippians 2.5 is a great reminder for us. Adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Again, you see Jesus' life. What is it marked by? A humble beginning, a humble walk, a humble life, a humble finish. But then God does something miraculous, something amazing through that. And we see like Mary and Joseph, you know, we are on this journey as well. They were on a journey with their Savior, their Lord. We are on a journey as well. And again, we need to be reminded that God often works in simple and humble ways. And it's oftentimes in our humility that his glory shines the brightest. Again, not our glory, not our praise, not recognition for us. But I, I, think, of, I think of times, so we, we have a connection now to the Serenity Center and the, the Thanksgiving dinners and, and things like that that are, that, are, that are operating within our community. And it's just going and, and serving a meal and God's glory shines in that, not because we've done something spectacular, but because God is shining his light on those who are in the most need, those who are down, those who are desperate, those who need to hear the gospel message. And it's often through our, our simple acts that we share the glory of God, where we don't call for recognition, but we point it to God, and we point it to Jesus, that he gets all the glory This also teaches us some valuable lessons about our relationships. Mary and Joseph are navigating this challenge together. They're walking in humility together. And whether it's within our own families, our own communities, workplaces, a spirit of humility will foster reconciliation, will foster unity, will foster pointing uh, the, back to God, back to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Humility is, Charles Spurgeon says, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. Humility is not thinking poorly of ourselves. Oftentimes we, we get the message that, oh, I'm humble if I think poorly and I think I'm down. No, no, humility is just seeing us who we are, also recognizing who God is. We are not in control. God is in control. We are not the center of this world. God is the center of this world, and we work. We are, we are his creator, creation. We are his creation working in his creation here, working as partners with him. And so humility is understanding that relationship that we have with God and understanding the relationship that we have with one another. So as we think of this holiday season and we think of the contrast between what was going on in the world at Jesus' time and what, what happens at Jesus' birth, we see that life is filled with unexpected, unexpected circumstances. The stable was unexpected, an unexpected place for a king to be born, right? Sometimes God's blessings come in those very unexpected ways those simple ways. All throughout Jesus' life, his followers uh, were trying to 
cast him in a different role. Uh, his nation was trying to cast him in a different role. To, you know, Jesus, hey, we see you have power. We see you come from God. Hey, let's do this. Let's, let's pick up the sword. Caesar has the sword. Let's pick up the sword. And again, we're reminded that Jesus walks in a different way. He walks in humility, understanding Jesus understood his position as God's son, his position as the Messiah. He also understood it was to come in a different way, in the unexpected way. It was Jesus, as Jesus walks a humble life, I, I think it's a way that he connects with those who are lost, who have nothing. He doesn't relate as a savior who's come wielding the sword, those who are in power, those who have the ability, you know, those, those who are mighty could, could follow him down his path. He comes in a way that those who are totally lost, those who are low, can come and meet the savior of the world. And he reminds us that we're to serve others with humility, to approach life's challenges with humility, to prioritize our relationships over status and power, to see others as better than ourselves, to see ourselves not as the center of the world, but in this great big mix here that God has created. Following Christ's example involves living a life marked by humility and selflessness, a willingness to serve others just, just as our King Jesus has done. His, mar his life was marked by service, coming as a, a servant to the world. And this is where we find ourselves today as Jesus followers. The humble setting of the nativity scene invites us to cultivate an attitude of gratitude in every circumstance rather than focusing on what we lack or the challenges we encounter a humble heart acknowledges the abundance of God's grace. We're coming into a season where sometimes we feel like, oh, I don't have enough, right? So you got all the advertisements, all the things that we're missing in life, all the message that we're receiving are like, if you just have this, if you get this under the tree, if this comes to your house, if this is the, the sort of meal you have, if, if this is the, the way the party goes, if this is, you know, the new relationships you experience during the holiday season, all that stuff is telling us what we're missing, what we're missing. Go get, go get Go get more and more and more. And Jesus comes and lives his life, gives us an example, and says that if we follow him, we will experience the abundance of God's grace and giftings in our life. It's not going to look like the world. It's not going to look like more presents under the tree. It may come in unexpected ways. And Jesus walks in power, his power, but he walks in humility. David Martin Lloyd-Jones Lloyd -Jones says this, humility is one of the chief of all Christian virtues. It is the hallmark of the child of God. Started the quote at the beginning saying, humility is the first letter in the, the Christian alphabet. Humility is one of the chief of all Christian virtues, the hallmark of the child of God. So as we enter this Christmas season, may we carry with us the essence of humble beginnings. 
May we recognize that in our humility, God's glory shines the brightest. So let us journey through Advent with hearts attuned to the humble Savior who from a lowly manger would one day offer the greatest gift, the gift of salvation to the world. Let us remember that the essence of humble beginnings challenges our understanding of power and importance, beckons us to embrace a posture of humility in a world that often values the grand and the flashy. Certainly during the season, this is what we see, right? The message of Christ's humble birth invites us to reassess our priorities, redefine success in the light of God's kingdom, where greatness is measured in humility and service. The journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem is not just a historical event, but a metaphor for our own spiritual journey. It's a pilgrimage that requires us to traverse through the hills and valleys of life, navigating unexpected twists and turns with trust and humility. Just as God orchestrated the humble setting for the birth of his son, he orchestrates the details of our lives with a divine purpose. John 1 says this about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. And yet, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. As we kneel before the manger of our humble Savior, may our hearts be filled with gratitude for this gift of salvation. The essence of humble beginnings teaches us that God doesn't despise the small and seemingly insignificant. Instead, he delights in using the humble and the meek to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. Let us remember that the essence of humble beginnings challenges our understanding of power and importance, beckons us to embrace a posture of humility in a world that often values, again, the grand and the flashy. The message of Christ's humble birth invites us to reassess our priorities and define success in the light of God's kingdom, again, where greatness is measured in humility and service. As we journey through Advent, may the essence of humble beginnings inspire us to live lives marked by humility, service, and gratitude. May the light of the humble Christ illuminate our paths, guiding us through the challenges and uncertainties of life as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. May the profound simplicity of the manger remind us that in humility we find the greatest gift, the gift of God's presence and love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of how you have worked in our lives. The, the, the humbleness of Jesus as he has come as the Son of God to, to rescue the world. Again, we're reminded this Christmas season that we need a Savior. We need a Lord who could step into our place, who could take care of the problem of sin that, that we could not take care of on our own. Our nature was sin. Our nature was separation from God. We were considered enemies of your kingdom. But because of Jesus stepping into the gap for us, coming down to this earth, to walk on this earth, Lord, he stepped into the gap to take care of sin and death on our behalf. And he invites us into a, a new relationship built on life, 
and built on the love of God for us. I, I pray, Lord, that during this holiday season that, that our eyes would be, again, focused and fixed on you, that we would see each and every step that we take, each and every action, each and every word that we speak as an outpouring of your love and your grace and your light. I pray, Lord, that as we are directed towards you, as our eyes are fixed on you, Lord, that, that then we will, we will boldly proclaim the goodness of our Lord and Savior for the rest of this world. There are people out there in our community they need to hear about you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would boldly preach that, the good news that comes through Jesus, our Savior, who came down in hum- humble circumstances to touch each and every one of our lives. We come in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Whoop. Hey.